0: Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our Instagram to see what we're doing this week, and our website citychurchotr.com to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy. Well, happy new year! Um, and like Caitlin said, my name's Chris. I'm the pastor here at City Church, and um, super excited to actually like get to do church in this building. This is such like a crazy journey that uh, if you've been around for a while, like that we've been on as a family, as we have gotten like the unfortunate call of hey, we need to be out of uh, our current venue in like three months, which was one of the like most traumatizing calls I've ever gotten um, to finding out at just the right time um, this building was available and it took a lot of effort. Um, Thank you, Catherine, for your patience with me as I was impatient for the last three months trying to get this thing closed. But we're like sitting in, and I don't like to throw around the word miracle a lot, unless it like actually is divine intervention. But the size of this building and the location uh, that it's at for the price that we got it does feel a little bit supernatural. Um, and even to find out uh, later that if, um, if we would have waited one month or if we would have contacted them one month later, uh, there was somebody else that would have taken the building um, or they would have tried to sell it to is like, it's like, oh, I had to get the call in September, even though that's like the last month I wanted to get the call about this. And so um, God's been really, really kind to us. And uh, and so when we started this church, I'm a part of a team that started this church about a year and a half ago. One of the big things, I'm just going to reiterate one thing Caitlin said, that we said we wanted to do is we wanted to be a um, a church with two front doors. And, uh, and we even had, like, this graphic designer from Indianapolis who, um, a friend of a friend, but she's never been to Cincinnati, design our logo. You see it all over the place, which now is, like, strangely close to the front door that we literally have at this new church building, which is just awesome. And, um, and when we say a church with two front doors, Caitlin was talking about house groups. I want to just, like, shameless plug for, like, 90 seconds, um, if you're not in a house group, that's that is like at least 50% of what we feel like this church has to offer um and there are so many functions uh the 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 formal theological word is like ecclesiology like the study of the church what should the church be doing so many functions of the church we have just determined are not best suited for here because they're best suited in the living room and uh, and there's some things that are just better here like this band can't show up to my living room every wednesday night it's just better Uh, We feel like teaching is really good. Like, I've had a whole week or two weeks now to prepare for this message, so, like, it should be decent. Um, That's not something that happens in every house group. But the one another's, the, like, praying with one another, bear one another's burdens, the eating together, those are just better in a living room. And so, um, if you're not in a house group, this is a great opportunity to get in one. There's a new one starting. There's ones that have already existed. Um, So, I really want to encourage you to do that right after uh, service in the family room. Go find, and we're going to meet for nine weeks, take a break in March. Like, just commit. Nine weeks, I'm going to be in this place, um, and and we want to actually see, like, where the rubber meets the road on uh, following Jesus. So, um, okay, this morning, it is twofold, uh, and I know that this is just a weird Sunday. It's like, are we back in rhythms, are we not? Next week, we're starting a series that I feel like... Um, could be a little bit of a game changer for our church. Um, but I did want to this morning talk a little bit about where we're going as a, an actual like individual church. And in order to talk about where we're going, I wanted to first back up and talk about what the church is, kind of when it started and what the call for the church is. And so we're going to be, um, we're talking about the, the global church, the capital C church for like a little bit. We're going to be in Matthew 16, and the cool thing is, we don't have screens also, like welcome to the journey of being a church plant that just bought a building, like we're working on the screens, we're going to get to it, um, but I have no like slides to show you, but there are Bibles in the back of your pew. They don't belong to us, you can't take them, if you need a Bible, we will get you one, don't take that one, it belongs to the other church, um, but we're going to be in Matthew 16, and if you're familiar with the Bible at all, you've likely heard this conversation between Jesus and his disciples. And also, like so many great passages in the New Testament, there's just a bit of context that needs to go into this to fully understand the craziness of the question that Jesus is asking and the answer that he gets, specifically like, why did Jesus say this at this time and why did Jesus say it at this place? So Matthew 16, I'm going to read half a verse, then I'll stop, uh, and that's how this morning's going to go. Matthew 16, verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples. We'll stop right there. It's going to be a slow morning. Uh, Context is so important. And so I want to stop and say, like, what is the deal with Caesarea Philippi? Because there is probably some intentionality to why Jesus said what he's about to say at this place. Um, In order to understand the context, I'm looking out just seeing how we're gonna do with this. There are some like somewhat graphic things that I'm going to water down to a degree, but um, in order to understand this city, there's just a bit of like unfortunate graphic um, detail about this city that I think actually makes this passage so much more rich. So I'm gonna do my best to give you context and also to be aware that not all of us have had the talk with our parents yet and that's okay. And so, Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi, and again, if we had a screen, I'd show you a map. I know you love maps just as much as I do. Jerusalem and Judea is kind of down here in the the southern part of Israel. Jesus does a lot of stuff there. He also does a lot of his ministry in Galilee, so the Sea of Galilee, and you've probably heard of some of the, like, small towns around here, like um, Capernaum or Bethsaida. And then, and these are the two almost exclusive places that Jesus is during his ministry, except for this moment, when he is way up here in northern, northern Israel in Caesarea Philippi. And the part of the country that he's in is on the way to nowhere else. So if you're in Caesarea Philippi, you have chosen to be there for a reason. It's not on the way to any other place in Israel. And so what most scholars believe is that Jesus is taking, it's about halfway through his ministry, his public ministry, he's taking a little bit of a break or a halftime, almost a retreat with his disciples, And he's getting away to a place that you only go to if you're actually wanting to get to that place. It's not on the way to anywhere. And so Caesarea Philippi is a city. It's built at the base of a mountain. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you've heard of Mount Hermon or Hermon, if you're just super uh, American. Um, And it's built at the base of this city. And the reason the city was built here is because there was a bottomless spring that was there. And we all know this. Bottomless springs represent fertility in the ancient world, right? It's just review. Um, and so the reason Caesarea Philippi came about is because there was this spring, again, that had no bottom. They just thought it was a well that had no bottom. And so, of course, what that means is this is a portal to the underworld. Now, geologically, we know a little bit more now that that's not exactly how that works. But the, the thought of first century life and even before that is this must be where the gods come from or the, where they come out of and so um uh, in 300 in every every different uh, kind of area of the country or world at that time had a different fertility god in uh, 330 bc so about 360 years before matthew 16 took place uh, a man named alexander the great uh, came through the world turned the whole world greek and he introduced israel including the rest of the world to their fertility god which is named pan I want to stop, and I want to promise you, relevance is coming, okay? But at first, I've got to tell you a little bit about Pan, who is, don't Google him, there's just awful things that come up, but he is a fertility god who is half uh, man, half goat. And, uh, and one of the things that Pan was known for is just these, like, really vile sexual practices. And so it was believed that pan could be coaxed out of the underworld uh in in hebrew the word is sheol in greek the words hades or hades you probably heard of that we might even just say it's hell this is the place that we could summon out the god specifically the god of fertility pan and so in your bulletin if you have one of these there's no sermon notes there's no room for you to write anything specific all you have is a picture and i'm going to work through this picture (laughs) Because this is what we do when we don't have screens yet, is we have to print a picture and we're gonna go through it together. So on the very left, this is what most scholars believe Caesarea Philippi looked like at the time Matthew 16 was taken place. So far left, you have a shrine building that was built uh, in honor of Caesar Augustus. Behind that, do you guys see a cave? You see like a big hole into the rock. That is where the bottomless spring was that was and and some called it the rock of the gods other people called it the gates of hades or the gates of hades relevance is coming and uh, and so that was believed where you could summon out the gods as you move further to the right there's an open area that area is kind of where some of pan uh, worship took place further to the right is the temple of zeus further to the right is a high area and a low area that are open in that high area and this is, this is where kind of a lot of this comes together. This is actually where Pan was worshipped. And the way that you worship a fertility God is you do fertility things in this area. And, uh, and, and the, the, the vile awfulness of this God, again, he's not real. But the way that the Greeks had built up Pan is, hey, if you want to summon the god from the underworld, you've got to do fertility things in front of other strangers, with strangers or temple prostitutes, and actually Pan is a half man, half goat, Um, and so we're going to involve goats in this as well, both for torture, for sacrifice, for other things. Um, This is how we worship and how we coax out the god of Pan so that we have fertility both with our crops and our families. Happy New Year, by the way. It's so good to see all of you. Um, So thrilled that we get to study this together. And so Jesus goes to Caesarea Philippi, a place that you would not go unless you actually wanted to be there. The heartbeat of... Um, pagan worship, at least in Israel, one of the places that was so far removed from Jerusalem. If you know much about the Old Testament, it's where Dan, the tribe of Dan, um, settled and committed all kinds of apostasy and, and fleed from the God of Yahweh or the God of Israel to worship other things. And this is where Alexander the Great and the Greek world introduced this awful, awful practice and awful, awful evil of pan worship. This was the heartbeat of that city and Jesus Takes a bunch of teenagers there to have a retreat. And we don't have a youth group yet, but in um, like, I'm predicting, just looking over in the kids' area, in five to 10 years, we'll need one. And one of the things we will ask him or her to not do is something like this. <laughs> this is like the worst youth pastor, pr- I mean, this is a lawsuit waiting to happen all of the things that they tell you not to do jesus takes a bunch of teenage boys and peter peter was likely an adult because he paid the temple tax a bunch of teenage boys to the the las vegas of the is uh, the jewish world and he has a retreat there and he has a specific conversation with them and so in light of all of this in light of Pan, in light of this picture, we can picture that Jesus is somewhere in this area as he has this conversation now with his disciples, the very first time the word church is used in the New Testament. And he says this He asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, uh, that translates to like rocky in English. It's a play on words. He says, you are Peter. He gives him a new name. And on this rock, I will build my church. Now, if you grew up Catholic, the way that you were taught to understand this passage is that the rock that Jesus is building his church on, is peter and uh and this is kind of the 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 big celebration the first pope was introduced and that's not i mean we're not obviously a catholic church that's not completely untrue uh paul does say that the the church was built on the apostles and prophets of one of which was peter but um the catholic tradition takes this pretty far and says no, no no peter was instituted as the first pope here that's one interpretation of this passage. The other one, this is the one I grew up with because I grew up in a Protestant church, is no, 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 it's not Peter that he's building his church on. It's Peter's declaration, right? And maybe you've heard this. It's, it's not Peter, but it's the thing that Peter says. Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, and it's that declaration that Jesus says he's going to build his church on. I think that's also very true. That one, to me strikes me as even more true because Jesus is Lord is the mantra. It's the chant. It's the the first creed that the whole church was built around. This got people killed to even say what Peter says right here. You're the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. You are the Lord. And there's back and forth, as good Protestants and Catholics do, which one's right and who's interpreted correctly. It seems like there could be a bit of truth to both. And I hadn't heard this until a few years ago. And Jewish interpreters say, hey, guys, there might be a third thing going on here, too. You guys, remember, remember where Jesus is saying this. They said, is it possible that Jesus, in front of the rock of the gods, I mean, maybe he's sitting here, and, and right there is Mount Hermon, and there's the, there's the rock of the gods, there's the gates of Hades, and he's talking to his disciples, and he says, um, he says that it's going to be on this rock, that I build my church. And, he's, and right behind him, maybe there's pan worship going on over there. And there's the goats and all kinds of fertility, evil practices going on. And he says, and he sits right here and he says, at the apex of evil, I'm going to build my church on this rock. And, and it seems like a stretch until you see the very next thing that he says. He doesn't say it anywhere else, any place else. Right after that, he says, I'm going to build my church on this rock and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. He says that at a very specific place, at a very specific time. He says, I'm going to build my church, and he says it in front of the apex of evil, and he says, even the gates of hell will not prevail against the thing that I'm about to do here. And so the very first picture of the church that we get is uh, not a bunch of people huddled together in defensive posture to make sure that the world doesn't overtake us, but it's a picture of a bunch of underdog people Teenage boys, teenagers sitting around in a circle, and Jesus says, Look, I know it doesn't seem like much, but what's happening here, that doesn't even stand a chance against this. And it seems like he was right. Because this is not what Caesarea Philippi looks like right now. It's just a pile of rocks. All this stuff is gone. And 2,000 years later, here we are in the middle of Cincinnati still talking about the thing that Jesus instituted in Matthew 16. And he says, those gates, the apex of evil, the darkest and the deepest places, that doesn't even stand a chance against this right here. And I'm just wondering, if you'd wonder with me, is it possible that if the gates of hell can't prevail against Jesus 2,000 years ago, that maybe the urban core of Cincinnati doesn't stand a chance either against what Jesus is doing at this time and in this place. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, we're going to shrink back, we're going to protect ourselves from culture, we're going to make sure that like we still have all of this stuff um, you know, taken care of and we're, and we're going to huddle into a church. Actually, no, no, no. The church although great to have a building, is mostly just here so that he can do what he did 2,000 years ago. We're going to retreat. We're going to do a little bit of teaching. We're going to do a little bit of equipping. And then we're going to go out to the gates of hell and to the rest of Israel and actually to the rest of the world. And we're going to see this thing thrive and move in ways that you could never even imagine. And so the very first picture of the church is the gates of hell not standing a chance against the thing that Jesus started. And so um, here's where we kind of play into this. And, and I want to start by saying, um, I love this church. Like, this is my favorite church of all time. Um, it's my favorite local expression of the church. You couldn't pay me to go to another church. Um, and I think what God's doing here is a pretty big deal. And and I don't want to belittle us, don't want to belittle me, don't want to belittle what God's doing here, but we're just a really small cog in a wheel that's been moving for 2,000 years. And there is so much momentum Behind what Jesus started 2,000 years ago. And it is an honor to get to pick up the torch and say, okay, well, he started that. We're going to just carry it forward for our time. And I'm going to talk about what this church feels called to in this year. And I want us to remind ourselves it's not a big deal because we've started something new, or a year and a half ago, revival came to Cincinnati. We are on the backs of all the way back from 2,000 years ago, we're on the backs of other churches and other Christians that have faithfully carried this thing forward. And right now, at least in this season, in this part of the country, of this part of the world, we're just saying, okay, this is our opportunity to pick up what Jesus started and to carry it forward into our version of the gates of Hades. And we get to see Jesus do something really, really special. So there are four things that we're really looking forward to in this year. About six or seven weeks ago, our kind of launch team got together and we started to pray and listen and said, okay, God, not in light of 2022, but in light of like 2060. I mean, I plan on this church, I believe, is going to outlive me and outlive uh, us in this room and we're really setting up what City Church OTR going to get to do in the city for many years to come and what are the building blocks we need to do now to set it up later for that thing to thrive and so we came up with four big things here they are the first one Caitlin already talked a little bit about this but we're really big fans and we want to really dig deep into the Bible and and I'm going to say that and then I'm going to caveat it that's overwhelming there are so many moments that I don't have one up here I know what a what a pastor. <laughs> there are so many moments that this book is just overwhelming to me, and like it's my job to like understand it. And I know there are so many moments that this book is just overwhelming to you. And so the invitation into a relationship with the, the Bible, a deeper relationship, is um, increasingly not perfectly. I hope that in a year you have an increasing relationship with the Word of God, and the only reason. We love the word of God. It's not because it is the third part of the Trinity, but because it reveals who the God in the word actually is. And so we love the word, not just so we can memorize facts or do really well at Bible trivia, although that's sometimes fun, but we we love this word simply because of who wrote it and who it tells us about. That's why we want to have an increasing relationship with this. Um, This comes from our doctrinal statement. It's online. If you haven't read it, it's pretty important, but it says this about the Bible. Um, It's inspired by God, and the Bible should be believed in all that it teaches, trusted in all that it promises, and obeyed in all it requires. The invitation is not to become a scholar by the end of this year or even by the end of your lifetime. That's not everyone's goal, but the goal is to have an increasing relationship with the Bible. And so I have four questions, one for each of these things. Here's the question I'm asking, our team is asking, and now all of us are asking as we enter 2022. Where does our relationship with the Bible need to be reformed and or deepened? Are there things about the Bible I need to believe differently? And where in this word can I deepen my relationship with it? Number two, uh, more deals with like this idea of mission. It's one of our four values. And, And when we say mission, we're thinking and talking about how do we empower each other Monday through Saturday? Mission is not like, okay, we've got to gather a bunch of people seven nights a week at the church so that we can like, be missional and invite our friends. That's maybe an element of it, but most of mission happens Monday through Saturday and whatever you give your hand to from nine to five or six or seven. And so we're really interested in how do we equip each other for that. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, this is a hallmark verse for this church. It says, now these are the gifts Christ gave the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. So Jesus actually gives gifts. The Holy Spirit gives gifts. Jesus also gives gifts to his church. And it's, it's this idea of church leaders or the institutional leaders of the church. And here's the job of the church of which you are now a part of. Heads up. This is our job. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. And so one of the things we're going to do this this year is just once a month, we want to at least raise awareness. Um, Sound like I'm in a sorority. We want to uh, raise awareness for the idea of what is God doing in us and through us um, all throughout our community. And so we'll do something called a missions moment where we're just having one person share how God's moving in not what's happening here at City Church, but how God's moving in them in their nine to five, whether it's school or work or stay-at-home parent, God is empowering us to reach our sphere of influence, not just make sure that we build a local institution of his church here. So here's the question that we're saying about empowering. How can we empower and equip each other to play offense in our spheres of influence. How can we empower and equip each other to play offense? We don't play defense. The gates are a defensive thing, and that's what hell has. We don't have gates. We're like playing offense. We're not huddled back trying to protect ourselves from the world, but we're going into the world. We're playing offense to uh, affect our spheres of influence. Uh, The third one is probably the one I'll say I know Uh, I have the least idea or um, formation around this. I know I want to do a lot of reading around best practices here, but also I just want to invite us into this process. Um, We talk a lot about family here, and we're asking the question, how do we create and sustain family in the midst of a moving and growing community? How? I mean, we don't want to just talk about family. We actually want to, like, figure out how do we best live out family. And when we say family, we mean nuclear family, but it's, it's actually bigger than that. Jesus introduced a new kind of family through his blood, and so how do we live into that as singles, nuclear families, married couples, dating, uh, divorcees, people that are young, people that are not so young. How do we start and form a new kind of family around that? And here's the thing. I know all of us have baggage around the idea of family. Every single one of us, maybe it's big, maybe it's small, but we're all bringing in a little bit of baggage around the idea of family. A lot of you guys know our story, but some of my baggage I'm bringing in is that we've wanted kids for a long time and for five years we tried and couldn't have them. Maybe yours is that you wish you were married or you wish you were still married. Or, and this isn't meant to be a joke, maybe you're married and you wish you weren't. Maybe you have a broken relationship with your kids, a broken relationship with your parents, you wish you had more friends or better friends, you have a mother-in-law that you don't like that much, you have a sibling that you just don't get along with. All of us are bringing some kind of baggage, big or small, with how we interpret family. And so we want to ask the question, how do we start to redeem that in light of who Jesus is? Third question, how can we, this is a big question we're asking, and I really want to invite you into this one. How can we combat loneliness and foster deep connection in ways that lead us to Jesus? So that first part's really important, but the church is just a rotary club or a social institution if it's not leading us back to Jesus. So how can we combat loneliness and foster deep connection in ways that lead us to Jesus? Uh, The fourth one is, um, I got this word back in May I felt like the Lord said, um, holiness is going to be a big part of City churches next season. And it was. And there's been so many uh, incredible stories of how God has moved in people to say, look, I want, I want Jesus more than I want this other thing. And um, I don't think that that was just a word for 2021. So we're asking this question. It's this idea of holiness. Or I remember when we were praying, Jalen got this word, offering. What's our offering to God? Um, Is there anything in our lives that is probably worth protecting in light of who God is? Or said another way, and this is going to sound potentially sarcastic or condescending, I I ask myself this question a lot. What are the chances that we get to heaven, we stand before the throne, and, and Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. Man, you took that too far. When I said follow me, I didn't mean you had to follow me that closely. Look, I mean, the way you, like, got sin out of your life, that was not required of you. You could have done much less. What are the, and, and the, again, not condescending, not sarcastic, I just like to ask myself this question, is there a chance I get to heaven and he's like, bro, because I imagine that's what <laughs> Jesus will say to me, bro, you took following me way too seriously. And if you're like me, I don't see the conversation going that way. If you're like me, I think you can assume that's probably not the response Jesus is going to have. And he invites us into holiness, but he invites us into happy holiness. It's not a burden to follow Jesus. It's not a burden to give up things in light of a glorious exchange of his presence. And so I want to spend a little more time on this one. Because um, I'm like so convicted lately. There is this, and it's such a great strategy by the enemy. There is this lie in the church that that zeal is now called immaturity or being young in the faith. Where you meet someone and they're just so excited about God. And if you've been following Jesus for a while, um, and this is the category I fall into, you look at that, you look at that zeal and you think like, oh yeah, it's it's because they're kind of immature in their faith. And, uh, okay, I can, I can do this. I, uh, I, one of the best things I do with my time, I feel like, is I meet with a couple guys uh, pretty regularly in, like, discipleship, mentorship. And uh, one of them, uh, his name is, is Ben. And, uh, and I remember Ben was telling me, he was showing me all these note cards that he writes down of, uh, sorry, I know what I'm about to say, so it's making me emotional. You have no idea. <laughs> um, he's showing me all these note cards that he's writing down of scripture. And he's like, look, I'm doing it so that I can memorize the Bible. And, and when he did that, I mean, this is, and I'm, I'm the mentor here. You've got to understand, I, I'm, I'm the mentor. And when he did that, I felt a bit of conviction. Because I don't go that far with the Bible, at least not currently in my state of where I am. That was the first thing I thought. And the second thing I thought is something to the effect that I bet it's because he doesn't know the Bible as well as I do. And so that's why I don't have to do that. And there is this perpetuating lie that if you've been walking with Jesus for a while, that you feel like when you see someone doing something like that. You write it off, because I don't like the conviction, and I doused my conviction with a bit of arrogance and writing it off as experience or wisdom. And that, that comes from the gates of hell. That is not a place that we want to lead our church or our individual walks with Jesus. And I hope that in 40 years, God finds me old, And as fiery as ever, because it is not true that the older we get, the more we've got to ground ourselves, the more we we kind of huddle together and we take less risks for Jesus, or maybe we're less emotional than we used to be, or we do less big things, and of course there should be some grounding in truth, but man... I find myself over and over again convincing myself I don't need to make the same offering or the same move of holiness as I did back when I had bigger sin or back when I didn't know as much about God. My relationship with God should grow fierier and fierier as I get to know him because I know more, therefore that should fuel something really, really special. And so um, getting older is inevitable. Getting less zealous for Jesus is not. It doesn't have to be that way. Salvation is free, but following Jesus should cost you something every single day. And the invitation, this final thing of holiness or offering, is I just want to look more like Jesus in a year. I don't want to coast through because I'm I'm like certain I'm getting into heaven. So that means I don't have to like do anything else, but that is a lie from hell that there's something on the other side of sacrifice that isn't worth it. And so, um, and this sounds intense, again, Happy New Year, so glad you're here. Um, The invitation this year is happy holiness, not just holiness for the sake of, like, being more self-righteous or arrogant. That's not good. But the invitation is into being uh, joyfully holy and giving up things, not for the sake of appearing more religious, but for the sake of becoming more like Jesus and giving him the glory that he deserves. Romans 12 says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters... In view of God's mercy to offer, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And so worship isn't just something that happens up here while we're down there. Worship is something that we do with our bodies in an active way of how we live. So the fourth question, how much more of our heart, mind, and actions can we lay at Jesus' feet? How much more of our heart, mind, and actions can we lay at Jesus' feet? And the rubber, I think, meets the road um, in not a place like this, but a place like a living room. This, I hope and pray, like as we gather here and as we see people come through these doors, this should be the spark that lights something up in us. But the rubber doesn't usually meet the road just on a Sunday morning, but it happens as we sit in living rooms and share meals together and talk and pray about how do we actually flesh this thing out? How do we start to follow Jesus in a deeper and deeper way? Um, so the band can come back up. We are going to go into musical worship now. And, uh, and next week, uh, I'm starting a new series um, actually on this idea of revival. Revival. And I'm coming from a church that talked a lot, a lot, a lot about revival and probably a little too much. Everything was revival, and that's actually not the case. Um, And I think I'm finally ready to start talking about like, oh, but there is a grander picture here than just surviving and getting through the next few years as the church, trying to make sure that we're not overtaken by the world. There should be some kind of element of seeing our area or our block renewed. And so um, Jesus taught us to pray this. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we're starting a series called As in Heaven, answering these two questions. What does revival look like? What would as in heaven look like here, and how does that happen? How do we start to see that happen? And uh, and I don't say this about most series, but this feels like it could be a bit of a game changer for our church. And I'm excited to invite... Um, our church family into the things I've been thinking about, our team's been thinking about for the last few weeks of what would it look like if McMicken, if Over the Rhine, if Urban Core of Cincinnati, and hopefully the rest of the world starts to look a little bit more like heaven.